So our reading is from Luke chapter 14. It's verse 1 to 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched carefully. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the hosts who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I read in the news this week um, an incident that happened with a celebrity and a bakery. Um, it was an actress from Coronation Street, I think, who's celebrating her 40th um, birthday. And basically, she'd emailed a local bakery to ask if she could have some cakes for free for her birthday. And in exchange, she would basically do some free publicity for her on her social media. Um, and the bakery took photos of the email that she got from this, this celebrity's um, PR company, and uh, she put that and her reply on social media. And uh, the reply went something like this. Thank you so much for the invitation to provide cakes for your 40th birthday. However, my mortgage provider won't accept publicity instead of cash, and my staff can't pay for food for their children with brand exposure. So thanks a bunch, uh, but you can go elsewhere. Now, this story is just one example, one everyday example of someone using their status to put themselves above others. It's also a pretty good example of someone being humbled. And we see both of those things in our passage today in Luke 14. But before we dive into that, it's easy to think that others do this sort of thing, but not me. Celebrities and mega-rich people do that sort of thing. I don't do that sort of thing. If anything, I'm like the baker in this example. Well, I want you to think for a moment about a time when someone was in need and you stood on the sidelines. Or think of a time when you thought, getting involved in that situation is too costly for me. Think of a time when you thought to yourself, I deserve better than this. I deserve recognition for the good things I've done here. 
Or perhaps a time when you've done something so that you would get something in return. The truth is, much as we don't like to think so, um, we do take advantage of others without realising it. And this passage, Luke 14, is going to show us how we do that and where that leads. And it's also going to show us a much better way to live. So the first thing we see in our passage is Jesus challenges religious bystanders. That's verse 1 to 6. Jesus challenges religious bystanders. So uh, Jesus has been invited to a Pharisee's house. He's a leading Pharisee. He's a really important guy. And he invites Jesus around for a roast dinner on the Sabbath because he's trying to catch Jesus out. Okay? He's, he's seen that Jesus has healed people before on the Sabbath, and he's trying to catch people out. So Jesus lasted that in chapter 13. He's trying to catch Jesus out in an act of law-breaking. So he invites Jesus, but he also invites a man that's visibly unwell. This man has abnormal swelling of his body, so it's probably something called edema or dropsy. He's visibly unwell, and it's, uh, it's like a long-term illness. So knowing he's being watched, Jesus then turns the spotlight back on the Pharisees and asks them, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees, verse 4, were silent. The law in the Old Testament allowed for healing if it was urgent. But the rabbinic rules, so basically the extra stuff that the Pharisees uh, believed, that they'd piled onto the law of Moses, said that no healing was allowed. The spirit of God's law, on the other hand, was one of mercy. Jesus looks for what's intended by the law, and the intention is a love for God and a love for neighbor. The Pharisees look to be as humanly perfect as possible and end up being hypocrites. That's what Jesus called them after the last Sabbath healing, chapter 13, verse 15. And it's what he implies here in verse 5. Have a look there. He said, he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? He's basically saying, are you serious? If your child falls into a well and it's the Sabbath, would you seriously leave them there? I don't think you would. What's more, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's Mark 2, verse 27. The Sabbath wasn't made so that we would be slaves to it. No, the Sabbath was a good gift from God to us to rest from our week of work and to worship him. But notice the Pharisees' response, verse 4, they remained silent. And then verse 6, again, they had nothing to say. You see, if they said the man could be healed, they'd be going against their own man-made laws. And if they said he couldn't be healed, they'd basically be shown for what they truly were, uncaring and unloving. But look at how Jesus responds, verse 4. Despite their silence, he took hold of the man and healed him and sent him on his way. Jesus healed the man because he loved him. Where the Pharisees showed complete indifference, even cowardice, Jesus healed him. In the face of his accusers, 
Jesus didn't stop doing the work of a good and kind and loving God. Now you might be thinking, okay, yeah, but that's not me. I wouldn't stay silent if someone needed help. I'm not a religious bystander. I want you to imagine that you're running late for work, uh, sorry, running late for church, and you're in the car, and, um, and you see out of your window an altercation between a group of teenagers, and a group of teenagers is running off with another boy's phone, and the boy is standing there um, upset. What would you do? You're already running late for church. Would you say, I can't stop, I'm already late. I've got somewhere really important to be. Or would you stop and comfort the boy who's been mugged? Would you lend him your phone so that he could call his mum? Would you comfort him, even if it's the cost, at the cost of being even more late than you were? These kind of moments happen unexpectedly, but I think the question we're asked of these verses is, are we driven by our need to do religious stuff, or are we driven by mercy? If we're just going through the motions, going to church every week, serving other people, going to home group, but don't have love, what good are we? If we remain silent when God puts in front of us someone in need, then what good are we? We might be really good at listening to sermons, might be really good at reading the Bible, but the Pharisees listened to Jesus, didn't they? They even invited him in for lunch. But when it counted, they were silent. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 2 says, If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So let mercy and love be at the heart of your faith, not religious works. Don't be a religious bystander. That's the first thing we see in chapter 14. The second thing is, Jesus humbles those who seek glory. That's verse 7 to 11. Jesus humbles those who seek glory. We read in uh, verse 7 that Jesus notices a bit of power play around the table. The guests at the Pharisee's house, who we can assume are other Pharisees, uh, mentioned in verse 3, they're all basically vying for the top seats at this meal. See, in Jewish and Roman and Greek um, culture at the time, um, used to sit around sofas around the table, and you'd have the host um, at the top seat, uh, right in the middle, and the most important people sat next to him, and then gradually the, the less important you were, the further away you were from the host. Um, it's a bit like at a wedding nowadays, you know, you have the top table, the bride and groom, and the best man, and um, uh, maid of honor, what are they called? Yeah chief bridesmaid, and then like the parents. And then as you go down the tables, you know, you have all the rest of the bridesmaids and the groomsmen, and then right in the corner, you have like the weird uncle or aunt who's just like really embarrassing and who you don't really want um, interacting with you. It's a little bit like that, okay? But in Jewish and Roman uh, societies, they had a really strong honor-shame culture. So to be sat really near to the host meant you were really important. But to be asked to go and sit in the corner, that was really humiliating. But that's exactly what happens in the parable that Jesus tells from verse eight. Have a look down there. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. 
If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you're invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. Jesus showed them that by putting themselves above others, they were headed for humiliation. Instead, they should humble themselves and put others first. Now, this this makes sense, right? This is a wise thing to say. But notice, Jesus goes even further. He presses it home in verse 11. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, bear that in mind and have a look Have a look between verse 7 and 11 again for the word invites or invited. Okay, you should see that word about five times. So it's twice in verse 8, once in verse 9, once in verse 10. That's four times. And then in verse 10, you also have this word host. Now in the original, that's literally the one who invites, the inviter. So the word invites is, is there five times. Jesus is saying, you're here because you've been invited. In this parable, it's God who hosts the wedding feast. And it's God who decides whether you sit at the top table or whether you're in the corner, whether you're honorable or whether you're not. That's not for you to decide. I want you to imagine that you're a month into a new job and uh, things have gone really well, you've got your feet under the table, you feel settled. And the next day is a board meeting uh, with all the senior leadership team. And, um, and you decide that given you've been there a month and you've done really well, you're going to attend that meeting. Okay, so uh, it's the next day. You rock up to this meeting. There's a hubbub, uh, lots of chatting. And it becomes silent. And the chief executive looks around the room and spots you. And he says to you, what are you doing here? You're a new guy. And you say... Uh, well, I've been here a month now. I think I've done a pretty good job. Um, so I've, I've done such a good job that I think we can all agree that I should be second in charge. I'm, I'm going to be chief operations officer from now on. You'd just be laughed at, wouldn't you? You, know, you can't promote yourself. That's not, that's not you. That's not your job to give. You'd be humiliated, and then you'd probably be fired. Only the boss can decide that. In what ways do we promote ourselves? Maybe for you it's posting only the best photos of yourself on social media, only showing the good bits and none of the ugly bits. Maybe it's bragging to friends about achievements that you've done, or maybe putting others down so that you look better. Maybe for you it's holding on to a status symbol like a high-paying job, or the fact that you're well-known for being hard-working. Jesus is saying here that we don't have the authority to promote ourselves. Because of sin, we've given up that right to be at the top table. It's him who decides who is honored and who will be humiliated. So humble yourself and you will be exalted. That's what Jesus did after all, isn't it? Philippians 2 verse 8 says, Being found in appearance as a man, 
he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. If even the one who made the universe humbled himself, then those who follow him should do the same. Thirdly, verse 12 to 14, Jesus questions their intentions. Jesus questions their intentions. Now Jesus is is speaking directly to his hosts. So this important Pharisee, remember. And look at verse 12 again. Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers and sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Jesus says the Pharisees need to go further than just inviting friends. Because when you invite friends or people of means, you generally expect um, something in return. Now, I don't think he's saying don't enjoy good and lasting friendships. You know, having people around for meals is a great way of deepening those friendships. I don't think he's, he's, he's arguing against that. But he is question, questioning the Pharisees' intentions, and he wants him to go even further. He wants him to include those who are blind, who are poor, crippled, and lame. Basically, he wants him to include those who can't pay him back. This will lead to true blessing. Where the Pharisee deals in exchanges, Jesus deals in gifts. We get that with Jesus carrying on this inviter language um, again. A host to the inviter is meant to reflect the ultimate host, God. He's saying you should invite those that God would invite. And in doing this, you'll receive a reward that will truly last forever. Last Christmas, I read um, Great Expectations by Charles Dickens, which is all about um, a young boy called Pip, and uh, he's out walking one winter morning, and he sees this guy um, who's a, a convict, and he's escaped, and he's called Magwitch, and he asks this, this young boy, Pip, for food. So Pip goes home and ends up taking uh, food back to Magwitch. Anyway, some years uh, pass, and he gets a message to say that an anonymous patron is going to supply all the money he needs to be a gentleman, and he's going to be lifted out of poverty. Pip thinks it's this um, local rich lady called Miss Havisham. But after some years of living as a gentleman, he finds out his rich patron is actually the guy he met right at the start, Magwitch. Basically, this guy, Magwitch, had been shipped off to Australia, he'd been released, and then he'd um, done his work, but he'd become really wealthy. And he wanted to give Pip the best life possible because of the kindness that he'd been shown right at the start of the story. Now, that is just a very small and very imperfect picture of the last three verses in our passage today. When we welcome people in and give to people who can't give back to us, we know God can repay us far more in the life to come than anything we could hope for in this life. We hear a lot um, uh, around today about random acts of kindness. But Jesus wants us here to think instead of purposeful 
acts of kindness. The greatest act of kindness happened when Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to become poor and to die a gruesome death so that we might experience the riches of heaven. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So invite people who can't pay you back because that's exactly what Jesus did. He gave up the throne room of heaven to be born in a barn so that you could enjoy his riches forever. If we claim to follow him, then we need to follow in his footsteps and do the same. Imagine what St. Paul's would look like this time next year if we lived this out. If we regularly invited people into our homes who can't pay us back, people who are struggling to put food on the table, those struggling with mental health, or something else which means they can't work. Imagine what that would look like. I think we'd have to put on a couple more services every Sunday just to get everyone through the door. Imagine. True humility means putting others' needs before your own. There is no greater demonstration of humility than giving to those who can't give back to you. That's what God did for us, right? We give to others expecting no reward because that's the kind of love that God showed us first. Not self-centered love, but love that's centered on others. Let's pray that we'll put Jesus' words into action this week and always. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us a better way to live. We thank you that Jesus modeled that perfectly. Please help us to follow him and be like him, inviting those who can't pay us back, loving those uh, more, more than we love ourselves. Please, Lord, help us to be humble because your son was humble. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.